Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody this morning. Those who are watching online, thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, we're just so glad that you're here today. You know, one thing we can always count on is the goodness of God. Can we thank the Lord for His goodness today and His faithfulness and His mercy? It's always there for us. Yes, yes, yes. So we are in a series, as you can tell, on God's design uh, for sexuality. And if uh, you are new with us today... Um, we talk about this stuff at Living Word. So welcome. We're glad that you're here today. Um, uh, I, I want to start off this morning by saying the last week and, and this week, I know these have been very delicate uh, conversations we're having and topics that we're um, discussing. And let me just start off this morning by, by saying that we all struggle. There are things in our past, things that have happened to us, things that we have done that we all struggle with. And I want you to know, first and foremost, this morning, that you are loved. That the reason why we're delving into these topics is for the reason is we see in our society um, just such a confusion on who we are and our identity. And we believe that through the word of God and a relationship with Jesus Christ, Jesus will show us who we are. Not from trying to find it from within, but from without. That we all believe, that, that we believe, and, and our church believes as we look into the word of God, that there was sin that entered the world through the frailty of man, through the disobedience of man, and sin entered the world. And, and, and what it did was it started a trajectory of just, of just waywardness and moving away from God and, and what he originally created us for. And what I want to do, and I, and I just pray that if you're here today, and you may, you may not agree with some of the things that are shared today, but, I, but as I said last week, I want to stress is that I want you to know that you're loved, and I want you to know that with the greatest of my ability, I'm trying to do this in love and in balance. So I want you to know that. So you may not agree, but I pray that you would hear my heart, and I pray you would hear me out, because what we're trying to do in the best of our ability as a church is to try to find God's design for us, and we believe with all our heart that's the best way. And I believe for the confusion that we see in our world today and the things that we're struggling with today is we're struggling with our identity and who we are and we're trying to figure those things out. And every single one of us are flawed. And there are things that have happened to our past that, that does affect the way we live out our lives. And so we need to be gracious with each other. We need to be careful even as the church is, as maybe there are things in the world that, that disagree with what we see that we never show hate that we try to understand each other on why we're doing the things that we're doing and then realize that there's a God full of mercy and grace. And within that, we are trying to discover and know what God's truth is in all of these things. So it's going to create a tension because uh, much of what we talk about does kind of come against the, the culture of our world today. And so that's why I want you to hear my heart and hear the heart of what the word of God is and, 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 and who Jesus really is and why I believe Jesus is the only one that can truly set us free from ourselves. And so that's my prayer. So let's pray and we can all go home. No, I'm just, I'm kidding. So um, can we just pray and ask God just to help us? And we need his wisdom. And I pray for your heart, that your heart would be open too as we just dive into this very, uh, difficult topic today. So Father God, we just need you. And um, Lord, we are frail human beings. That every single one of us has been born with that sinful nature, our waywardness away from you, God. And we need to discover your original plan. 
And to know that you've done everything possible to reach us, to transform us, to make us new, create, new creations in Christ Jesus. So as we look into your word, help us to know what your desire is, not what our desire is. Or even as the church, not to water down what your word says so it makes other people feel comfortable because there are going to be things that are tensions that we're going to have to wrestle with because they come against what your will is. So God, I pray that you would help us to see your heart and what your desire is for us, most of all, through your word. So we thank you, Lord, and I just pray for every heart here today, those watching online, those that are struggling, God. Lord, I just pray for their hearts right now. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and your compassion and your wisdom. We need it. And uh, we ask all these things in no other name but the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So what I wanted to look at is, is before we, we dive into um, why what I do with my body matters. And I, I really want to look at that um, for this reason. Um, in, in our world today, we have tend to take a, a, a low view of our physical bodies where the word of God and, our, and being created in God's image, God takes a high view of our bodies and what we do with them and how we treat one another. And so I, I do want to, I want to dive into that. But before, before I do that, I want to first say, let me be honest with you. Uh, I've been a full-time pastor going, uh, going on 34 years um, this April. I know it's hard to believe. I started the ministry when I was 10 full-time, so <laughs> that makes sense, right? Um, at the church here at Living Word for 24 of those 34 years. It's been a blessing being here. And what I've noticed is a commonality with talking with people. And of course, as a pastor, you talk to a lot of people. You hear their heart. You hear their stories. You, you hear um, things that they've gone through in their past. And um, it, can I just say, that's a, I see that as a privilege because it helps me as a pastor to know what you've gone through and the pain and the struggles that you've gone through. It, it helps me to, to, to speak better, to understand the heart of you better. And I, and I believe that's what we need to be as a church. We need to understand each other's hearts. I think sometimes we speak over each other or we assume a lot about a person without really ever getting to know them. And isn't it wonderful when you really get to know someone and you get to know their background? And then, then it's like, okay, now I know why Pastor acts the way he does because it was the four concussions he had as a kid. So that makes a lot of sense, right? Um, but when we get to know each other's heart, we can understand each other and have more grace for each other. And one of the, things, one of the common threads that I've seen over the years of pastoring all those years is that um, there's a common thread of sexual, something dysfunctional sexually in our past. Whether it's abuse, sexual abuse, we know from statistics, one in four women, one in six men. Um, I don't want us to just brush that aside. And here's the reason why. is because I think much of our issues today and our identity issues stems from a lot of that. From not understanding a healthy view of sex- sexuality, which we can find in the word of God. Thank you for that. That we, we know what God's desire is for right relationships. And I think because of a misunderstanding of that or not being raised correctly or a product of, of abuse, um, I think, it, 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 and I know from research, we really struggle to find who we are. And I believe that's, that is at the root of what we're dealing with today, especially within the transgender movement, same-sex attraction, whatever it may be, or even, uh, even if we don't struggle with those things, even us personally, um, things that have happened in our past, we struggle in our relationships to have healthy relationships because of the things that have happened in our past. And I don't want to brush over that. 
And I believe that there's healing in Christ that we can find ourselves in Christ knowing that our identity is in him, not in my background or my abuse. Um, I want you to know that the message of Christ is this, and I, I have it for you, is that you are not your wounds, you are not your past, and your identity is not your abuse. And as we talked about last week, is that your identity is not your sexuality. And I think that's where we're struggling with today. We're struggling to find where our, our identity is. And, you know, I, I, I want us to understand each other with patience and grace. Even with, even with things that we may not agree with, maybe we just let's have grace and patience with each other because there's other things that go on behind the scenes that we may not see in people's lives that we need, that we need to have a lot of patience and grace with. Okay. Amen? Okay. So let, let's understand that. So as we deal with God's design for our bodies, please understand that we are in no way trying to single out anyone. That I believe all of us, there's some sexual dysfunctionality. I think that's a word. It sounds pretty smart, so I'll use it. Um, in our lives. So we're all, we all struggle in some way, and we are broken, and we need God's grace. Can we all agree that we need God's grace? So as... You know, maybe as a parent or a grandparent or, or you know, you may have a child or a grandchild who's struggling with their sexual identity. I, I, my prayer is this, this will help you. Um, we do have people in our church um, uh, that has family members that are struggling in this way and have done a beautiful job of showing grace, um, love, and keeping the relationship open. And I, I want you to know that you're not alone and that there's a place that you can come to and talk to other people who are struggling with the same thing and how they how they're doing it well in the tension and, and how they're loving well and keeping the relationship open well. And I pray this will help you and allow you to keep your relationships open and allow you to understand people's heart and, and why, why they're at the point of their lives where they are. And, and, and I believe that the church should be that safe haven for people who are struggling so we can hear their heart to help them find who they are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Okay. So the question we answered last week is, how did we get here? How, how, did, how did we get here? Or, you know, why are we here in our world today? And why is there such, you know, an issue with gender confusion in our world today? And this is what we discovered last week. At the, at the, you know, we can look back at the core of the 60s was this expressive individualism developed by Robert Bella, a, a sociologist, and, and here was the main idea. The main idea is that my identity is found solely and only solely when I can express outwardly my inward feelings. So what it was is I'm going to find out who I am by looking inside of me. How, how many of us know that's a flawed premise to start with? Because we under, all understand that, that we are tainted by sin, that we, we have an inherited sin nature. And so it's about looking inward, looking into my heart, finding myself within myself. No one can tell you anything different. It's who you are, and you define it. Kind of, kind of the phraseology of you do you, right? You do you, or follow your, right, follow your heart. Now, we can see how dangerous that can be. A book by Carl Truman called The Rise and Triumph of Modern Self is probably one of the most concise books ever written on this topic, and he said this, there's never been a time in human history that humanity has defined their identity by their sexual attractions or orientations. So what we've done is we've taken our attractions and elevated them to our identity. Now, what did Jesus say about who we are? 
And this is where I want to be clear as a church. I want to be clear about God's design for gender and marriage. So we're going to t- next week we're gonna, and for the next two weeks, uh, we're going to talk about marriage. So it's just going to get better. It's going to be more fun. So make sure you come, come next week because the hits keep on coming. So we're going to talk about marriage next two weeks. So let's look, at, let's, look at, let's look at God's design here. And listen, the only way we can correctly understand is by going back to the creation story in Genesis. What was God's original design for us? Genesis chapter 1 says, So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them. Male and female, he created them. So we understand God's original intent, male and female, he created them. We are image bearers of God. Now it's interesting that Jesus referring to the married relationship, the marital relationship, goes back to the creation story once again to establish what a Marriages. Uh, the, the Gospel of Matthew records this for us. The words of Jesus says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, what's interesting about what Jesus says here is not only going back to the creation story of a husband and wife in a marriage relationship, we'll talk more about that that next week, but but what I like about what Jesus does here, he goes back to the creation story and, and talks about the importance of the physical union. Now, notice what Jesus says here. There's something very important, a high view of the body, and this is where my message is going, so, so don't leave me, so just hold on, because I, I am going somewhere here. Um, it's interesting that he says, the two shall become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one. Not only a physical union, but emotional, spiritual union. It's something that God reserved for that marriage, for the intimacy of marriage, saying these two are literally becoming one. I take this high view of this oneness. I want you to notice the high value that God places on our physical bodies and what we do with them. So what we see here in the Genesis account is God sees our bodies as unique and what we do with them should be treated as honorable and sacred. God has such a high view of us and who we are. That's why we look at the sanctity of life is so important because it's God's creation. We don't undermine that. See, in our world, we have devalued our bodies. Just the opposite is happening. But God sees our bodies as sacred. So we are created in the image of God, we are, or we are image bearers of God. Listen, listen to why God has such a high value of our bodies. And this, and this will feed into why we're struggling with our bodies, or the, the transgender issues that we're dealing with today. 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, uh, Paul writes to a very immoral culture that, 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 didn't, that just said whatever you do in your body is fine. It doesn't affect your spirit. Sometimes there, you know, there was a separation there. But, but Paul says this. Listen to what he says about our physical bodies. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your what? With your bodies. He sees it as a sacred thing, as an honorable thing. And the Apostle Paul spoke to a culture that did whatever they wanted to do in their bodies. 
So what Paul is saying, no, 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 your bodies are the temple that house the Holy Spirit and what you do in your body matters. It matters. What you do to your body matters. Your body should be treated sacred, something that's not common. That's why the excuse, right? We use this excuse many times about an affair or you know, a relationship that, that we shouldn't have been part of. And, and we say something like, well, it was just a physical thing. Now, why doesn't that hold water? Why doesn't that excuse just fly? Here's the reason why. Because the body and the heart are connected. Well, it it didn't mean anything. Then why does it hurt so much? Why is abuse so traumatic? Because our bodies are tied to our emotions and spirit. That's why sexual abuse is so traumatic. Because it's more than just a physical thing. We can't separate that in our mind. God understood that when he created us. And that's why marriage should be seen as a sacred thing of two people coming together physically, emotionally, spiritually. The marriage covenant is becoming one physically, emotionally, spiritually, and you can't separate it by simply saying it's just physical. That's why affairs hurt. So, What do we do in our world today when someone has the question, when they say, I feel like my brain is at war with my body. What I'm feeling doesn't match with the way I was created. See, this is is at the crux of the transgender movement. I, I believe one of the best books that were written on the topic was by Nancy Percy, and she wrote a book In her book, Love Thy Body, addresses this issue. Excellent. I couldn't recommend it more highly. Excellent, excellent book on this very thing about how our society has such a low view of our bodies and how how we understand that created in in God, how how God has such a high view for our our bodies. And I would greatly recommend it. What Nancy Percy does is she gives a biblical foundation of, of why God takes our physical bodies so seriously. And what do we do when there's gender confusion or there's gender dysphoria and so much that we're seeing in our world today? Because the voices in our world today would tell us not to look at your physical bodies. They they would say, don't let that be your guide. Nancy Percy in her book uh, quotes from a BBC film titled Transgender, What Transgender Kids Say. And let me quote, Uh, what she had her from this BBC film. It said, at the heart of the debate about transgender children is the idea that your brain can be at war with your body. And I'll go on to tell you what she said. She said, today, the accepted treatment is not to help a person change their inner feelings of gender identity to match their body, but to change their body through hormones and surgery to match their feelings. You see, in other words, when a person senses dissonance between body and mind, the mind wins. And the body is dismissed as irrelevant. Now, she goes on to say that Christianity assigns the human body a much richer dignity and value. Humans do not need freedom from the body to discover their true, authentic self. Rather, we can celebrate our embodied existence as a good gift from God. Instead of escaping from the body, the goal is to live at harmony with it. I love, I love that. 
There are many news outlets now that are reporting that maybe we need to take a pause. We need to think more clearly about what we are doing to children that are young and confused and not getting correct psychological evaluation. In fact, 60 Minutes, 60 Minutes, report on those who transitioned as teens and regretted it later. There is a recent article in the New York Times by Pamela Paul. It was just published. It was an opinion piece on the transgender treatments. She was writing about those who now regret what they did as adolescents through hormone therapy and reassignment surgery. And she interviewed one woman that within her adolescence went through reassignment surgery. And it was amazing what this, what this young woman said. She said when she was going through that time of confusion, what the narrative was, which right away, you need to change your body to match what your mind is thinking. And this is what she said, I quote, this is what she said. She said, no one ever asked me the reason behind my dysphoria or my confusion. No one ever asked me why I'm feeling this way. Why am I confused? See, the problem was there was no psychological treatment. Doctors simply prescribe hormone therapy with no pushback. See, this was devastating for those who now look back and feel they never received the help that they needed. They needed to be reconciled with their minds and, 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 saying, and, and staying with, with the body that they were born with instead of helping them to understand these things, especially as children, to try to reconcile that. The narrative was to push the surgery or the hormone therapy. And they felt that the medical establishment gave, uh, gave in to the fear of retribution and not giving them the whole picture of some of the irreversible effects that this could cause. And that's what we're seeing now. That's why many news outlets are reporting on this because we're seeing the devastating effects of something that we pushed that we really didn't know the, the long-term effects would be. There's an article done by Focus on the Family. It was, a, it was done by a clinic performing gender reassignment treatments in England. And Tom Goodhead is the chief executive of Progost Goodhead, the legal firm pursuing litigation against the Travistock Clinic, performing harmful medical treatment on children. And this is what he told the Times. He said, children and young ad- adolescents were rushed into treatment without the appropriate therapy and involvement of the right clinicians meaning that they were misdiagnosed and started on a treatment pathway that was not right for them. According to the news outlet, lawyers expect about 1,000 families to join in the medical negligent lawsuit alleging vulnerable children have been misdiagnosed and placed on damaging medical pathways. This included allegations that it recklessly prescribed puberty blockers with harmful side effects and adopted an unquestioning affirmative approach to children identifying as transgender. The Times columnist um, Janice Turner excoriated the clinic for endangering children and irreparably harming their bodies. There's actually um, one drug...
There's actually one drug that we're prescribed to kids. As young as 11 years old. And what they found out about this one drug is the drug wasn't even approved for, for children with gender dysphoria. It, what it did end up doing is reduce growth and bone density, sterilizes and kills future libido. And, here, and here's the thing that's just so disheartening to me. They don't even know what it does to teenagers and their developing brains. Or even if it would work to, to make them become happy. Fulfilled trans, or, or to make them fulfill trans adults because there's no data or long-term research. I want you to catch something here. Despite the damage caused by the puberty blockers, there is no data about how these drugs affect children, no long-term research. And that's why many of these clinics are shutting down now because of you know, litigation, but they're, they're putting a the pause button on it, which I think is a good thing. It's a good thing. Actually, Dr. Paul McHugh from John Hopkins University said they tracked children's transgender feelings without medical intervention. Both Vanderbilt University and London's Portman Portman Clinic found that 70 to 80% of children lost transgender feelings. The problem is the fear that's thrown at parents struggling with this is that their child will take their life. So, it's really quiet in here. Now, let me, let me be honest with you. I'm going to be raw with you. When I read this stuff, it hurts, and it makes, it, it makes me angry in, in some ways because I'm just, when it's something that's done to children, um, it, it, it just, I don't, it, it hurts. It, it's just, you'd hate to see that. And, and I, I feel for parents who are struggling through this, of, of not knowing what to do. Because the narrative is, is, is pushing so hard for this other way that we're not getting, once again, to the heart of what's going on in these issues. There's something deeper going on than just simply pushing reassignment surgery. There's something deeper. And so what are we to do? What, what are we to do as a church, how do, we, how do we correctly handle this? How do we correctly, it would be easy just to, 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 to throw bombs out and judgment and blah, blah, blah. We need to speak the truth and who people are and, and, and God and how he created them. Yes, we need to, to speak that, but how do we deal with, with the hurt and the pain of what people are going through as the babies cry out? <laughs> That was actually an amen pastor, by the way. So I just I translated baby talk to amen pastor. So how do we deal with this as the church so we don't, we don't shut our doors, but we keep our doors open. We speak the truth of God in love and in mercy to help people, to help parents struggling through this, those that maybe have made wrong decisions, that there's an open door here for God's grace and mercy. And I don't mean to simplify this, but what we need is we need the gospel. We need the message of Christ, the hope that's found in the message of Christ. And I've, I've listened to those, and I'm so glad there are voices in our world today. I've listened to those who have found freedom that are same-sex attracted or are struggling with their gender. One, one is Sam Albury. I, I just love Sam Albury. He's a pastor in England. He's written many great books on this topic. He writes a lot of commentaries, just a brilliant brilliant man, pastor, uh, writer, speaker. Um, and he, at a very young age, noticed that he was same-sex attracted. 
And, but what he did was he took his desires and he laid them at the foot of Jesus and he found his identity in Jesus. And he submits his life to him. He doesn't submit his life to his desires, but he submits his life to Jesus Christ. Rosera Butterfield is another wonderful author, writer. Um, I would recommend her books. But as followers of God, we need to be sympathetic with those who are struggling with their identity. At the end of, at the end of Nancy Percy's book, I think she has some wonderful insight here as the church and how we need to progress through this very challenging time in our society because, because we see um, this identity, identity being, being pushed in younger, younger ages in elementary schools and, and so on and so forth. So we need to be aware of this and have the answers that we need to have as the church. Um, I love what Nancy Percy says here. She says, Christians must be prepared to minister to the wounded the refugees of the secular moral revolution whose lives have been wrecked by its false promises and freedom of autonomy. I love that. The church needs to be a refuge house where people come in that said, you know what, I did this or I did that, and we say, hey, welcome. Jesus loves you. There's a place for you and you can find healing. She goes on to say that the new polarization can be an opportunity for Christian communities to become a safe haven where people witness the beauty of relationships reflecting God's own commitment and faithfulness. I love that. Our hope is in Christ. We, we want to be a church where, where people can come that even struggle and say, we're going to walk with you through your struggle. We're going to show you what God's word is because here's the thing. And I know many churches have um, watered down their stance on some of these things to make it comfortable for other people. But can I just say this? It will not ultimately help that person. The only true transformation can come through Christ and his design for us. And so we have to take God's word at his word and believe, God, if we believe your word that you truly can transform us, we, we're all going to struggle with something the rest of our lives. Amen? Everybody out there? Okay. Amen? We are until we get to heaven. But we submit those desires that are not in the will of God. We submit them to God and say, God, Help me through these because I need to be an obedient servant to you ultimately. And Jesus offers the best freedom to us. Jesus is the one that sets us free. And so by watering that down to make everybody feel comfortable and accepted in those things is not God's ultimate plan for freedom and, 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 and to have a transformed heart. We are going to wrestle with a lot of things in our life, but that doesn't mean... We whitewash it just to make ourselves feel comfortable because we won't find the true freedom that Jesus desires to give to us as his children, amen? And he wants the best for you and he wants you to experience his freedom. So I believe that we need to be a refuge house where people can come that have been scarred or marred by those things and love those people through that, hear their heart of whatever struggles they are going through. Not just one group of people struggling with our identity, but all of us who are struggling with our identity and trying to find out who we are, to hear each other out. That's why I love the story of the prodigal son. You know, as a parent, you, you do your best to raise your, your child and to protect them, right? You want to protect them. And all of a sudden, they go out on their own. And you may see them do something that you know is like, oh, I don't want them doing that because I know they're going to get hurt if they do that. 
And sometimes you feel helpless, don't you? But do you stop loving them? No. You never stop loving them. You want the best for them. You want them to come back. You want them to come to their senses. You don't want them to hurt their lives by the wrong choices they're, they're making, but you still love them and you pray for them and you want them to come back and you, you're doing all you can to, to keep that relationship open. See, what I love about the prodigal son story is that when the son blew all his inheritance, which basically wished that his dad was dead, he goes out, blows all his inheritance, he comes back and he's thinking, oh, I'm just going to, whatever job, menial job my dad gives me, whether it's the worst thing, a slave, I'll just do whatever. Worst job in the world. I'll do whatever he asked me to do because I just want to come back. And it's interesting that the father saw him from a distance, which means, which means, which means, which means the father left the door open. He cared more about that relationship than he did about him blowing his inheritance. He cared more about showing him grace and mercy and coming back into the fold than he cared about what he did or didn't do. And he restored him. And he restored him. He said, my son has come home. Let's throw a party. So just like Nancy Percy says, this is our opportunity to become a safe haven for people to witness the beauty of God's grace and mercy from those who have been hurt by the world's standards and philosophies. And we can say, welcome home. Welcome home. You're going to find grace and mercy here and God's forgiveness. Welcome home. Amen? Okay. I'm going to shut up. But before I do that, I want us to close in just a happy song. Okay? And this song... You know, there's, there's songs that I know we're going to sing in heaven. I think this is one of them. So I just, I like this song. This, I love this song. The song is, Who Do You Say That I Am? And what this song reflects is not who do I say I am, but who does God say I am? And we're, we are a child of God. He defines who you are and your relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. Don't allow the world to give your standards of who you are. Don't allow your past or what you've done to, to, to tell you who you are. Christ says, when you are in me, you are my child. You are my child. So let's understand that our identity is in him. So let's be that church that is loving, gracious, standing on God's truth, but to hear people out to hear where they're coming from and to hear their hurts and to hear their pains and allow Christ to do the work that he needs to do in their heart as we pray for them and love on them and be the church that he's called us to be. Amen? Amen. So let's sing this to the Lord and just know who you are in him and let's celebrate the fact that we are his children in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? And we're going to sing this together. And uh, let's just make this our prayer. Let's make this our, our heart's cry to the Father of who we are in him. God bless you. You should sing this to him.